Would you take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 4? We'll be looking at verses 1 to 11 this morning. I'd like to read it for us as we begin. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. And now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Let's pray. Father, there is so much we have to learn in our relationship with you. We grow, we walk with you. We listen to your word and we try to apply it to our life as well as we can. And I pray that you would give us ears today to hear what this passage is about, to check ourselves, our heart, our relationship with you, and to take to heart what you are saying to us. Help us, Lord, to be a people that enter your rest. Amen. If you have ever felt like life is too busy, you are not alone. In fact, many Americans feel that way. In one study, they were talking about the percentage of Americans who feel like they need more fun in life, and they said that there were 68% of people who feel like they could use a little more fun. There were 67% who felt like they needed a long vacation, or 66% said they often feel stressed. 60% feel their time is crunched, 51% want less work, more play, 49% said they feel pressured to succeed, and 48% just feel overwhelmed by all that they have to do. If you can identify with that, you're in a majority of people out there who are feeling like their life has just gotten a little bit out of control for them. Richard Swenson, in his book, The Overload Syndrome, wrote that life in modern-day America is essentially devoid of time and space, not the Star Trek kind, the sanity kind. The time and space that once existed in the lives of people who regularly lingered after dinner, helped kids with their homework, visited with the neighbors, sat on the long swing, went for long walks, dug in the garden, and always had a full night's sleep. People are exhausted. 
Like the mother of four from LaGrange, Illinois, who said, I'm so tired that my idea of a vacation is a trip to the dentist. I just can't wait to sit in that chair and relax. (laughs) Probably not too many people that would say that, but that indicates how busy we can be. And I hope these last few days for you over Thanksgiving have been a time that was restful or a good time with family connecting that you didn't, you know, jam-pack it so full that now you feel like you need a break from your break. Sometimes we do that as Americans. But the problem runs deeper than just learning better time management skills. For many, the problem is a restless heart. Deep within the heart of every man and woman is this longing for peace and rest, a longing for joy, a longing for satisfaction in our work, a sense of accomplishment or that this was done well. And how do we fill that longing? Well, the answer isn't in running faster or in acquiring more stuff. The answer is found in God himself. That's the place where we find our peace and rest. In the fourth century, St. Augustine said it well when he wrote, that thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. That's the answer. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about in this passage. He's talking about how we as Christians can enter into God's rest and how some who had heard about this opportunity, missed it. They missed it because they did not combine it with faith. So what does the writer of Scripture have to say to us this morning? Well, number one, he tells us that the promise of rest remains. He is telling us that this door, this opportunity is still open. The doorway to a relationship with God is open, but now is the time to enter it. One day, that door will close, and it will be too late. He points to the Israelites, again, as an example of those who refused to enter God's rest in the promised land. He goes back to the psalm, what was read earlier in chapter 3, and he goes back to the Old Testament stories about the people of Israel, and he tells us that they had the gospel preached to them just as we have had. Did you see that in verse 2? It's really an interesting statement. He said, for we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. They had the gospel. They had the good news of this opportunity of rest preached to them as well. Now, the gospel they heard looked forward to the fulfillment that would come in Jesus Christ. They they looked forward to these promises of God that would one day be fulfilled in his Messiah. But for them, the immediate promise was this land that they were about to enter into, this promised land. And the land of Canaan was really a type of the rest that is to come. I mean, if we point out some of these things, I think we'll see the connection. In the land of Canaan, as they entered this promised land, they were going to experience freedom from slavery. They had been a people who were in bondage, in slavery, to Pharaoh in Egypt. It's a picture of our bondage and our slavery to sin. 
And how when we do not know Christ and we are living in the world in a way where we are under Satan's authority, he is a cruel taskmaster. The land of Canaan would also picture for them the freedom from hardships of pilgrimage and hostility. Life is hard. Life in this world for us is hard. We are pilgrims on a journey from this world to the next. And we are walking with God along the way, but there are temptations, there are challenges, there's persecutions, there's hardships, there's suffering. All of those things are a part of this life where one day in that rest that is to come, we will experience freedom from that. And thirdly, they were to experience freedom from the instability of life lived in the desert in contrast to the blessings of life lived in the presence of God. Here they were in the desert. Life was hard. It wasn't settled. It wasn't what they wanted, and they were experiencing all those trials along the way. But they were to enter into a new land where God would bless them, a land that was flowing with milk and honey, as it was described, a land that would be bountiful and good, and they would dwell in safety and security if they would keep the Lord first in their life. And here's all this opportunity before them. And then the writer of Scripture points out that they refused to enter God's rest, though. And their opportunity was lost forever. I mean, it's hard to even imagine uh, that they would turn down this open door, this door to freedom and life lived under the blessings of God. Just like it's hard for us sometimes to understand why someone would not want to come to Christ. Why would you not want to enter into a relationship with God where you could experience forgiveness of sins, where you can experience His joy and His love in your heart, where you can experience this presence of God in your life and the rest and the satisfaction that can come with that? But today's the day to enter through that door because one day that door is going to be closed and that opportunity will be gone forever. Several years ago, uh, Stu Sebesma and I were traveling together on a mission trip. I had invited him to go with me down to Peru. We were going to go to Pacalpa, which is on the edge of the jungle there, and uh, we were going to be involved in pastoral training that I do, and then there was a connection with a medical mission work that was going on down there, and Stu was interested in that, so we we were uh, going down together to do this. Well, we arrived at the airport here in Minneapolis in plenty of time, got through all the security checks, made it through, baggage checked and everything, and we had time to get some breakfast. So we uh, sat down at one of the restaurants there and we got into this really good conversation. We are eating breakfast, time's going by, and all of a sudden I hear this announcement over the intercom that says, last call for flight number, and it was our flight, and then they actually announced our names. <laughs> so I, I knew we must really be late, and I looked at my watch and went, oh my, oh my. So we hurried down there, and we got to the gate, and we were the last two people to get on the plane. And it's like, you know, one of those situations where everybody else is sitting down, they kind of look at you and wonder, okay, who are these people coming on later? Why are we still waiting? 
You know, it, it's a little bit like the uh, comedian who said, you know, I have an arrangement with the airline. Uh, if I'm not there on time, they leave without me. And that's kind of the arrangement we were under. But I, I thought, you know, what if we had missed that flight? I mean, what if we had missed it? Because there are all these connecting flights. I mean, you fly to Atlanta or you fly to Miami, you have a connecting flight down to Peru. You go to Lima, then you got to go from Lima to Pacalpa. It's not a simple journey. And if you miss that first one, I mean, the whole trip would have been thrown off. And what the Scripture is telling us here is that we are pilgrims on a journey toward a heavenly goal and there is nothing that we should fear more than to fall short of it. There's nothing we should fear more than to fall short of this opportunity. That's, that's a serious warning. And again, he is writing to those who would consider themselves to be part of the church and he knows it is possible to hear the gospel over and over again and never come to the point of faith where you are trusting in Christ alone as your Savior. And that's the warning of this text. He goes on to tell us that the promise of rest is both present and future. There's a present aspect to it that we enjoy in this life but there is ultimately this future rest that is still to come. And in verse 3, he says, Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. He gives that warning that happened to the children of Israel that I declared on oath in my anger that they shall never enter my rest. Once they had so hardened their heart and refused to trust in God and walk with Him, that was it. That generation would die in the wilderness. It would be their children who would rise up and enter into the promised land. But when we read this text, I'll be honest with you, sometimes you read through this the first time and you're going, okay, which rest is he talking about? I mean, he uses that word rest in multiple ways in this text. And so we see that in one case, the rest that he's talking about is the promised land. It's Canaan, it's this opportunity that the Israelites had. In another setting, in verses 3 to 5, he talks about the Sabbath day. He talks about God on that seventh day resting from his work of creation. And so he's talking about this Sabbath that's to be the pattern of our life. And then in verse 9, he talks about a future Sabbath rest for the people of God. And he, you know, makes these connections. He said, you know, if if Joshua leading the people of Israel into the promised land had been it, well then the scripture wouldn't say that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It had to be more than just that land. And it had to be more than just the Sabbath day that God was talking about. But what do we make of all of this? How do these things all tie together? Well, William Lane in his commentary on Hebrews offers some help here. He said the allusion to Genesis 2-2 is not accidental. 
When he uh, quotes here and he says in verse 4, for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, and you've got to remember that they didn't have uh, the chapter and reference notes that we do in the same way. It was just all Scripture. So it's not like the writer here could say, you know, in Genesis 2-2, exactly right here, you could look this up. But he uh, introduces it in this way because people knew the Scripture. And so he says, remember these words, on the seventh day God rested from all his work. Lane goes on to say that anyone attending a Sabbath evening service in the synagogue would have heard the call to worship from Psalm 95, 7 to 11. That's those words today. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. They would have heard that passage immediately followed by the celebration of God's Sabbath rest. That there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now let's go back. Let's look at Genesis and listen to what he says there. In Genesis 1.31, God said that he... Oh, go back. He said he saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So when you look at all of those days of creation, God did everything he wanted to do. And when he looked at the whole, he said, it's very good. And then on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And he blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, look at that passage. And do you notice anything different about the seventh day in contrast to the others? On the seventh day, it says that God ceased from his work of creating. He stepped back, if you will. He looked at all that he had made and he pronounced it very good. It was perfect. It was exactly what he wanted to make and he found satisfaction and joy in that and he rested from his work and the other thing we notice about the seventh day in contrast to days one to six and days one to six they always are defined by evening and morning the first day or evening and morning the second day and on and on but when it comes to the seventh day there's no reference to that it continues. There's no end to it. This Sabbath rest. But it doesn't mean inactivity. I mean, Jesus will say that my Father has been working up until the present day. That rest doesn't mean inactivity as though there's nothing going on. God is still upholding creation by His mighty power. He is still at work in the world. He is still sending out His angels who minister to us. But that work of creating and making this world exactly what He wanted it to be was done. And He found joy and satisfaction in that. Now here's what I want you to take from that. What is true for the believer then is that the Sabbath, or for us as New Testament Christians, the Lord's Day, is meant to be a picture of the rest that is to come. It is a weekly reminder that there is a day coming when we will cease from our toil and labor and we will worship God forever. Now think about that. So every 
Lord's Day when we gather to worship is to be a picture of this rest. You know, that man's not a machine. We were not made to simply work and be productive and feel like we have to be efficient all the time and doing all these things and make sure we get this done and checking off our to-do lists or whatever it is where we feel like we are being run into the ground. One day in seven was to be a day for rest. A day to step back. A day to even find enjoyment in your work to say, you know what? That was a good week. That was a good week, what we were able to do. And to feel like we had done exactly what God wanted us to do, even though we hadn't maybe gotten everything done that we had hoped for. But this week, you know what the priority was? It was to be here, or it was to do this, or it was to be with my family, or it was to make that Thanksgiving meal, or to create a time when we could be together. It was to help my neighbor. It was to serve. It was to be connected and live in relationships with other people in a way that honored God. Can we do that? I mean, when I started to think about that many years ago, it changed the way that I looked at Sunday. That Sunday is to be a day of rest from our labor, a day when we find joy in our work, and a day when we come to worship God and we're reminded again of what is really important and eternal. You know, and in that day that's going to come in the future when we gather to worship around the throne of God, we won't have any trouble thinking that Jesus is present in our services because we'll see Him. And we won't have any trouble singing our songs of praise to God because we'll be there and we'll be surrounded by the angels, the heavenly hosts that will be there, and we will worship God perfectly. And in that day, we won't be distracted by the cares and pressures of this life because they'll be gone forever. But every Sunday is to be a picture, a taste of what that day is going to be like. The Apostle John wrote about the believers who were gathered there in heaven and what he saw in Revelation was this. He said, Therefore they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them, his covering over his people, that, that protection, that blessing. And never again will they hunger, and never again will they thirst, and the sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What a beautiful picture of rest and worship and contentment in the presence of God. The promise of rest remains. The door of salvation is open. So how do we enter it? We enter God's rest by faith. In verse 2, the Scripture gives us the warning that hearing is not the same as believing. We've had the gospel preached to us, they had the gospel preached. But the message they heard was of no value to them because it was not combined with faith. They heard it. They just didn't receive it by faith. And again, that is possible still today. You know, it is clear from this text that believing God is more than just knowing about God. 
It's not uh, knowing some information about Jesus. You know, there's a lot of people who would have kind of this mental understanding or picture of Jesus who would say, oh yeah, you know, I, I believe in him or I believe he was a good man or a good teacher or he had some valuable things to say. And they'll know some information about Jesus, but that's not faith. That's just knowing a few uh, maybe historical facts about Jesus. That's knowing something about his life, but that's not what true faith is. Biblical faith is trusting God with our whole life. And it is acting upon the promises that he has given. If they had really believed, they would have stepped out in faith and entered the promised land. In this sense, the writer of Hebrews is very close to the way James talks about faith. Faith without works is dead. I mean, we do not earn our salvation. We do not merit it by things that we do. But the proof of our faith is really seen in how we live. If we believe, we will live differently. If we believe in Christ, we will keep his commandments. And his commandments are not a burden to us. They are a joy. That's what we want to do. In fact, when we sin and we don't do what God asks, we're disappointed in ourselves. We know we miss it. That's not what I wanted to do. Our heart is, I want to please the Lord. And I want to do what he asks. And biblical faith then is then stepping out to trust him and putting your weight upon the promises of God's word. Let me give you an illustration of that that goes back a number of years. You know that elevators were invented about 150 years ago, a little over that now, and that before there were elevators, buildings could only be built so high. They only thought like six stories was about as safe as you could get. You know, and you think of that, I, I think... Uh, um, you know, in the musical Oklahoma, they talk about in Kansas City how everything's up to date in Kansas City and they've gone and built a skyscraper. I think they're at seven stories high, you know, and they, my wife needs to check my lyrics here. I'm not always good on those. And, uh, you know, and, and I'm thinking about how there were limits on how tall buildings could be. So there was a, a man named Elijah Otis who wanted to work on this problem. And all of us at some point in our life have probably ridden on an Otis elevator. They've been the industry standard for more than 150 years. Well, he didn't invent the elevator. What he invented was the braking system. Because before there was a braking system, people were kind of afraid to ride in elevators. I mean, you know, if this thing, the cable goes... You know what's going to happen? I'm going to go plummeting down. And they weren't these nice kind of boxes. They were kind of open and you could crash and fall out. And I mean, it was dangerous. And yet people didn't trust him. Here he had come up with this braking system and they did not trust that it was going to work. So they weren't buying his elevators. So what he did was he went in 1854 to the Crystal Palace Exhibition that was in Manhattan. It's kind of like an early World's Fair of its day. And what he did was he had his assistants there and he would step onto his elevator and he gave them orders to, you know, raise this thing up and then let it fall. And here he is, he's in this elevator and every time he'd do this on the hour, once every hour kind of thing and that thing would fall and the brake would kick in and the elevator would stop and Otis would announce to the crowd, 
All safe, gentlemen. All safe. Well, that day, with that demonstration, he sold his first three elevators for $300 apiece. But today, New York City alone has about 70,000 elevators. It's estimated that the equivalent of the world's population travels on an Otis elevator, an escalator, or a moving walkway like we have in our airport every three days. They are so well used. But it changed our world. I mean, it led to the development of skyscrapers that could be much higher because of that, all because someone came up with a system that would safely stop an elevator if it fell. That's faith. Faith is like stepping onto an elevator. Faith is like trusting that God is going to hold you up. That He will do what He has promised and you are willing to act upon it. How does this apply to our salvation? To, to trust in Christ then is to cease from trying to earn our salvation by our own works. And instead, we rest in the finished work of Christ who died for us. A lot of people are trying to earn their way into heaven by going to church, doing good deeds, doing things that they think they should do by saying a number of prayers or a certain amount of gifts or giving things in the offering, thinking that all those things are going to somehow merit our salvation. It doesn't. What God is looking for are people who will place their trust in His Son. And that what Jesus Christ did paid that penalty that I deserved. And what I need to do is to put my hand in His. The writer of Scripture closes this section we're looking at by saying, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Make every effort is literally make haste. Make haste. Do it today because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You don't know if that window is going to close. You don't know if when you leave this place today if you're going to die. I mean, none of us know what tomorrow may bring. And so here is this passion and this urgency. Let us make every effort to enter that rest. You know, many times through the years when I've been speaking on Sunday morning and I look out at all of you, I think of what it's going to be like in heaven to gather once again and to greet one another in that place. And my heart as a pastor, as a shepherd is, I don't want to see anyone missing. That's why I preach the gospel. That's why I invite you to place your trust in Christ as your Savior and Lord because I want to see all of you there in that day when we gather again in God's presence. But it's a choice we each must make. Without a personal response to the gospel, no one can be saved. Without each of us individually in our heart coming to Christ, asking Him to forgive our sins and be our Savior and Lord, we will not enter. Jesus is the door through which we enter God's rest. In Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon, me, upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to Christ today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for this door that is open before us, a door of salvation that leads to eternal life. If you're here today or if you're listening online and you have never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, I invite you to do that today. To say to him, Lord Jesus, I need you. And I thank you that you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. Would you forgive me for my sins? Would you come into my heart and be my Savior and Lord? And would you help me to know you better and to grow in my relationship with you? If you did that, would you tell somebody of the commitment that you have made? We want to help you to grow in your relationship with him. Amen.